All right. So now um, what you've got that taste of is actually, I told you last week that we'll do the British guy this time instead of uh, Streetlights uh, Ministries with the backbeat and what have you. So um, last week, this, this is either the shortest sermon series ever of two, or this is one sermon that is taking two weeks to do it. So I don't know how to explain it, but it's one of those two things. So just uh, listen now as we go through Ephesians 2, and the British guy's going to talk. No, it's not James Earl Jones. <laughs> it's this guy named Max McLean. Yes. And I could hear him read a phone book as long as nobody in the phone book was named Jesus. Because that would bug me to no end. Y'all got a little bugged by that too. I know. We're going to do a little bit of review. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in cahoots to bring to humanity and to the world grace. A grace that transforms us, that changes us. At the core of who we are, 
a people who were in rebellion against God, alienated from him and from one another, made into a new humanity, made one by Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And we said that it was bewilderingly complex and, and, and broad and beautiful, that it includes the deepest regrets and fears and aches all the way to the deepest expanses of the universe. We use the language of an amazing grace that was close, intimate, and personal. It was communal. That it, 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 You heard the language, killing the hostility between peoples. And it's cosmic. That God has, in Christ, by his grace, shifted something structural in the universe where the reign of sin and death, capital S, capital D, are now broken. And the reign of grace through the king of grace has set up the new structure by which the world will ultimately live. It's a huge amount of consequences for what this means. But we said that as, 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 as wild and amazing and broad as this is, there really is only one response to it because it is a gift. And what do you do with gifts? You receive them. We are his masterpiece, his workmanship. And we receive the masterpiece of his redemption born of his grace. Now, I want to start with something um, super, like, foundational in this, because you heard the language of grace and not works, and, and, and that's a really important thing, because we're going to talk about good works a lot today, but I want you to make sure you have, in a foundational way, um, what we're talking about when we talk about it being a gift. Father Capon writes, he's an Episcopal priest, writes, the Reformation was a time when men went blind, staggering drunk because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace. Bottle after bottle of pure distillate, distillate of Scripture, one sip of which would convince anyone that God saves us single-handedly. The word of the gospel, after all those centuries of trying to lift yourself into heaven by worrying about the perfection of your bootstraps, suddenly turned out to be a flat announcement that the saved were there, were home, before they even started. Grace has to be drunk. Grace has to be drunk straight by faith, no water, no ice, and certainly no ginger ale. Neither goodness nor badness, nor the flowers that bloom in the spring of super spirituality could be allowed to enter into the mix. Meritocracy was dethroned with the gift of God. We are saved by grace alone. Now, it's important because grace and good works and salvation are always tied together in, a, in the formula. You can switch to the next slide. But it's really important to get this formula right. And with my incredible graphic design ability, I have created this for you. God's grace, good works, and salvation are always tied together, but you've got to get the math right. It is not God's grace plus good works equals salvation. That equals sad face. It's God grace equals or produces good works and salvation, and that is happy face. 
I know, you scarce can take it in. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So, the scripture in verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works. Sometimes in our Reformed circles, we get a little worried when the word works comes in. But these are works that are, they, they, they say they're good works. And they're good works prepared for us beforehand. They're good things for us to overdo. And not every time we talk about works are we talking about merit. In fact, in the economy of the kingdom, merit is off the table. We're not talking about merit, but what we're talking about matters. It matters greatly because these are things that have been prepared from the foundation of the earth for us. And his grace is always, always tied to mission. His grace is always tied to his purposes. And his purpose is to have the world working towards its beautiful intent. His purpose in this jacked up world that we live in and are jacked up ourselves, to quote the Bible, is to make all things new. When the Bible describes the end state, It talks about everything being made right. It talks about every tear being wiped from our eyes. I dare you, two seconds, give yourself to that. And it describes a flourishing city surrounded by a cosmic harmony. You gotta give it two seconds for each of those too. A working, flourishing city. So when he brings grace to bear, it comes with a momentum. Grace is not a static declaration over us. That's justification, and it is uh, received by grace or through faith by grace. And it is how we get to that uh, justification. But it is not static. It is a movement. Grace is a wave. It must be the end of summer because I couldn't stop thinking about this. And I'm going to show you a picture, and it's kind of a humble brag. But as you know, um, my family, my dad's side, all born and raised in Hawaii. And this is off of Makapu'u Point, uh, which is this incredible lighthouse which is just around the corner over here. Actually, Springer took this picture. So what is it called? A hat tip or a pick tip or something like that? What? I can't hear you, but that's okay. I love you. Um, uh, the, um, but you can see these waves, right? Okay, so if you look over the other side, it's, um, you've got about 25 miles and you can see Molokai. But if you look from that vantage point, it's really hard to see. Maybe a little bit you can. What you also see is not these beautiful waves crashing in uh, uh, and moving from island to island, but what you also see are these like little rivers or currents that are in the ocean. And they look like little paths or highways or or little places where you go. And you get caught up in that. And that's almost like, you know, taking a, a, a fast track in the water. And so the, 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 the people who sailed and, and, um, and even paddleboard or do anything they do, they get on these little lanes and they ride from place to place under these currents. This is what grace is. It's the waves, but it's also riding in the currents of the ocean of God's love, as our first hymn talked about today. It is an amazing thing to see 26 miles of lines on a good day you can see you know, 20 miles of it or something like that, um, and the, off the EV channel that makes this look like this. And you're like, oh, these are, these are how these people uh, were able to travel so far and so fast. Grace is a wave. It's an ocean current. Kids, did you ever, did you get to do any body surfing this summer? Did you, did you get to get in the ocean at all? You know how you catch a wave? You stand there and lean, and then it takes you. That's what you do. 
All you do is kind of jump, and the fun and the function and the joy of the wave is outside of your control. It's kind of the point. That's what grace is. It's a wave that pushes you forward, pushes us all forward, away from self-centered self-rule. It's a wave that rescues us from imminent, even eternal disaster to a wide open adventure of love and forgiveness and hope and joy and peace, all born out of abandoning ourselves to the, to the, to the wave of grace that comes our way. It is by grace alone that we are saved, but grace is never alone. It doesn't manifest that way. Grace never comes from our works, but grace never appears without good works. And we don't need to be afraid of good works. They are, after all, good. Thinking of college students or young people or even people my age, or I guess it's a elongated midlife crisis or something, you think about purpose. What the Bible is saying is that you are made, you're literally made for a purpose. And it's not just some like ethereal thought experiment purpose. It's actually the God of the universe who's done some pre-thinking about this and has created a path for you to walk in, in specificity, into the world. We don't always know what that is, but you were made for this. And what you've got to realize, and this is, this is a little bit hard for me to explain, but this purpose is tied to you actually being hidden or living your life in Christ. We're as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know if you remember hearing the language from, from um, uh, the, the, the reading, but, but do, you, do you hear what it said when it said, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and then he interrupts himself and says, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I dare you to take more than two seconds on this, because it's going to take you two millennia, maybe all of eternity, that somehow, spiritually, in some amazing, mysterious way, our lives are connected to the risen Savior's reign over the world. And we participate day in and day out, connected to that. So whatever he's doing in the world, and the breath of grace that he's bringing to bear in the world, which is both internal and and close and communal among us and cosmic in its reign, we are tied to that. We are living that out in some, and I, there's no other way to say this, mysterious way. So for those of you who have trust fallen into the arms of God, you are so united to Jesus that you not only have been brought to death, from death to life, but you've been raised and seated at the right hand of God. You, 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 you live in with him in some amazing participation in the life of the Trinity, not as gods, but as invited guests to be in the mix of that. And in him, we've got to be doing good works because that's what he's doing. prepared for us in advance. So all I want to do is just kind of spend some time going through where good works can be and not talk about good works as a bad thing, but 
Heck, it's a beautiful thing. Go for it. Good works. Have a big time. And I want to talk about them in relationship to this closeness, the communal, and the cosmic. How do we walk in the good works prepared for us? With this closeness, this intimacy, this as we use the language, intimate and personal, internal. A lot of the type of this good work is the work of settling and stopping, noticing, resting, what John calls abiding in Christ, training your body to be still and your mind to stop. That is good work for us. Practices of Sabbath, I dare you. I dare you to pursue that good work. It is a command. It is an invitation. But even like just being aware of who you are and what's going on, being aware of your body, remembering that you have one, that God has come to redeem the physical as well, this work of being reintegrated instead of disintegrated. Later, Paul talks about how, how we get sideways with our bodies in terms of sexual sin or, or drunkenness, the sins of the body that are, that are so clear in uh, places of struggling where it's either such an amazing over-attention to the body or it's pretending you don't have a body and you just let it go. Later, Ephesians talks about uh, suiting up to stand against evil, the- evil schemes, the, the work of preparing to live. It talks about fastening uh, uh, yourself to truth, protecting your heart with righteousness, readying your feet for swift acts of peace-bringing and telling of the great news of Jesus. It talks about cultivating faith amid doubt and evil. It talks about getting this amazing salvation into our thick heads, doing the work of meditation on these things. It talks about the word being the Spirit's sword, this penetrating reality. And all of this is asked over and over again and actually exemplified in Ephesians through prayer. This is for when the mirror is lying to you and says you must be on the hamster wheel again of your own performance. Oh, you're so tired of trying and trying again that you won't even get on anymore. This is for those who can't keep up and for those who can't stop for those who are experiencing meaninglessness and hopelessness and selfishness, self-harm, or doing your own bullying and self-congratulating. This is for addiction and despair and insecurity and audacity. The good work of this close grace, this intimate grace, is to begin again. Always we begin again. This is Benedict's opening of the Benedictine rule. Benedict, not Arnold, the saint. It's been trendy these days to talk about growth mindset, learning from mistake and mistake, and I love that stuff. There's a lot of research and writing that is super helpful, but growth mindset really is just a subset of a grace mindset that you begin anew. Always we begin again to keep trying to keep learning and evaluating, complaining, and keep trying. Always we begin again because we live under the reign of grace. We begin again. Even if you failed 30 seconds ago, always we begin again. We live under the reign of grace. 
If you're like me, your failure, your, your fear, your anxiety, your track record, your deep wounds, your outright rebelliousness sometimes, your despair, your evil thoughts, your syndicated sins, you know, the ones on repeat, they can overwhelm you. Not to mention the temptations to gossip or be arrogant or avenge or grow in bitterness or grow despondent in your disappointment. The good work of God's gracious waves tell you that you just jump in. There's another wave coming. Just wait and ride it. This is what grace is. With all the grime and goodness of who we are, grace says you are loved and you can begin again. We always begin again because we are fueled and live under the reign of his grace. And for those of you who are like, this sounds really odd, I don't know what he's talking about. Those of you who have not tasted and seen the kindness of Jesus in this, let me just tell you, it is utter freedom to be able to admit. It is utter freedom to just go, everything he just said is true of me, and probably worse. And that there is one who made me and who loves me, not because of what I can perform. And yet, he sends me off to do good work. And as the waves of grace sweep in, right, we begin again. And we begin again as we live it out in communal practices as well. All that talk of two becoming one, this hostility that is broken between us uh, as people groups, this new humanity that Jesus is making in him because of his death and resurrection. Friends, the good works of communal grace are everything you can think of that has to do with one another Everything from people in the pew or your room or, 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 or roommate all the way to every Christian in this city together and every Christian in the world together that he's making us one. Let me, Paul goes into things about marriage and parenting and other things as well. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a couple good works that uh, at least Amanda and I have tried to, to, try to work on and I'll give you the little phrases we use. Do everything in your power to erase the old tapes. Don't confine someone to a previous set of behaviors. Let them begin anew. Keep short accounts with one another. Do not let bitterness grow. Don't let the sun go down on that anger. Even if it's, I'm so angry, I'm not letting it go down fully, we'll work it out in the morning when I can think straight. That's still right and good. And Lord knows, don't come to the supper lying about your non-unity. And then, my favorite one that Amanda and I have grown in over time is resist the Whipple, which is obviously clear to each of you. <laughs> Whipple means worst possible light. Now, I'm sure you're not like us in any way that you're ever tempted to hear a statement from another person and not receive it in the best possible light, but receive it in the worst possible light. I have 10 things I could interpret this as, and I'm going with the worst one. They probably meant the most evil thing that could possibly have meant by it, right? Resisting the whipple is what we call it. You just whippled me, we say. Worst possible light. That's what all the language of like, um, uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what it's talking about. Guess what, kids? You know what it also says? Obey your parents. One of the things we talk about at the house is simple obedience. Like, simple obedience, just, just obey. 
Parents resist the nudge. Children, you know what it says also? Parents, you know what it says also? Don't provoke your children. Children, resist the nudge. Amanda seems to think I provoke the children much more than I think I provoke the children. I'm pretty sure she's missing it. Be kind to one another. That's in the Bible. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. That is good work. That is good work. And I have a theory that it is one, if we can live into it, one of the greatest places of showing off the glory of Christ, if God's church could be kind to one another. (laughs) To forgive one another, not just in this room. Glory, if we could just do it in this room, it'd be amazing. But what about crossing all sorts of other barriers with people who name Jesus as theirs? We live in a world that doesn't know how to talk to each other. And we have not just been trained by them, we've done a little bit of training ourselves. And we need to repent, get swept up in the waves of grace, the channels of grace that have us engaged with each other in kindness. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the more underrated ones besides self-control. We can refuse to deride among our differences. There are good works planned for us to be kind to one another. In this, oh Lord Jesus, please, this is a genuine prayer. Would we be a light and a joy of conversation during the 2020 election conversation? Lord Jesus, it's got to be a miracle. It's got to be grace working in us. But there is no reason for brother and sister to deride one another in the middle of those times. And and I'm not talking about putting your head in the sand. That's worse. That's its own kind of cruelty. I'm talking to actually engage with one another in love and truth. This is why we do stuff with other churches, not just in our presbytery, but in other places. Because we want to prove God's love can cross boundaries. We want to show signs and wonders of his power and his grace. We want to be part of the good work that he's doing. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Friends, let us have the most robust, grace-drenched conversations about everything that exists in our hearts and in our life together, even if, maybe especially when, we disagree. Just jump into the waves of grace. The channels are moving, and they're moving toward good things. So what about this last category? Not close, not communal, but cosmic. He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places where we also sit with him, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. The reign of grace is not in just the age to come, but is in this age as well. And not just in heaven, but on heaven and earth. This is something we must dwell upon so that we can figure out what our good work there will be 
that is in line with the mission of God. Admitted, this is a harder one to make application for, but I guess I want to say, it's everything we think or do. Everything we do for our city, for our neighbor, for the orphanage in Guatemala, or taking care of the children at the Surge Conference, for the the glory of the raw where we help feed the hungry, or the glory of the overflow shelter where we give a place to lay their head and a good meal. That our engagement with issues of, 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 of injustice and embattlement or, 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 or are working for shalom and all sorts of avenues that are re- about racial stuff or social stuff or economic issues. From those, um, the, those of you who are going to head to the border in a little bit and just try to love everyone in your midst. To those of you who are going to go to Florida in the next week or two to just try to clean up messes. To those of you who are trying to protect children and liberate the trafficking, or those of you who are at home and are just trying to raise your children to love mercy, to do justice, and walk humbly with God, all of that is about the cosmic reign of God. For those who are trying to build businesses to help people have jobs and provide for their families, for those of you who are trying to make art that challenges and delights, for those who build things and care for people, for those who are cleaning up spreadsheets, for those who are cleaning up bedsheets, whatever it is, we do it with an orientation towards the cosmic reign of God. And all I have to say to you is keep going. Do the good work. Grace, grace drives us there. And the grace of God is cosmic and it intends to destroy sin as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. There is no nook or cranny where we are not to be there working for the reign of shalom under our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And we must see ourselves as participants caught up in these currents of grace. All things under his feet. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Amazing. I don't know if you know who Richard Halverson is, but uh, he was the pastor of Fourth uh, Presbyterian Church in D.C. He was the Senate chaplain for, well, I think like 15, 16 years. He was actually the Bunkers pastor for a while, if you know uh, the Bunkers. But he used to end most of his, um, his services with this benediction. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of his Spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love, and his power. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Here's a good work I've been working on. It kind of came, well, I'm not great at memorizing scriptures. I can paraphrase the mess out of them. (laughs) Maybe with a few additions and subtractions. So my um, spiritual director said I should memorize this, and it's in Ephesians, and when I was preaching on Ephesians for two weeks, I was like, oh, yeah, I probably should. And Joy prayed it over me last week before reading the scriptures. But I have had a really hard time doing this good work. I don't, it's not sticking. So I gotta have to read it to you. But I begin again. And I wanna read it to you because it captures this kind of driving reality of the current 
of grace that moves us towards good works. And Paul interrupts his entire passage about all this stuff and just straight up prays for the people he's been telling all this stuff to. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. God's people can say, Amen.